this is Enter VR, <clears throat> the podcast on all things virtual reality, and sometimes a little more, actually a lot of times a little more. Um, and today I'm speaking with Tony. Tony, I'm going to murder your last name. Is it Dippenbrock? Dippenbrock? Brock. Okay, Dippenbrock. That's a, can you tell me more about your last name? I'm t- totally random. Sure. Yeah, where, they, where it, does it come from? <laughs> it's a German last name. Um, family is originally from German Germany and Austria, and yeah, it's uh, regularly butchered, so so no worries. <laughs> oh, sounds good. And you're with Learn Immersive, I believe, correct? Correct, correct. Awesome. What is Learn Immersive? What What is it that you guys are up to? We help people learn foreign languages in virtual reality. That is extremely fascinating, <laughs> and I am extremely curious. How is it that you're planning on doing this? Sure. So... The way we see it is that VR, right now, there's it's mostly gaming, it's mostly entertainment. Um, we've always been interested in educational technologies. Uh, a while ago, we worked on something for computer science classes, helping identify address code. But bottom line is, we think that VR is a new medium in which we can actually really affect the language learning process. So um, there's three core com- pieces to that to that belief um and before you keep going tony i'm so sorry i you're getting cut off a little bit i don't know if there's anything you could do to get your reception a little better i have no idea but yeah let me try this sure sorry for the hassle no worries is that clear much better okay there you go awesome please continue before i rudely interrupted you (laughs) so we, we've been following VR for a while, um, and we do like to solve our own problems. Uh, neither me nor my co-founder are very good at speaking languages, although we did study them in school for a long time and Spanish a few months ago. And evaluating my options, you know, there's private tutors, there's Rosetta Stone, there's Duolingo, there's, there's all these different tools, but we thought we could do better. Um, something in VR that would leverage speech recognition, that would leverage um, some other technologies that we think can really affect the actual learning process itself. How did you, how, what, what, what was the inspiration? What was the, the thing that sparked that, that idea in the first place? It was a few things. So we're actually coming from, we were working on some deep learning technology for the last few months namely text and object recognition. Uh, I was very curious about 3D scanning, and this was just a crazy idea, but the idea of 3D scanners, and it's commoditized. Pair that with object recognition. So think of it in terms of, you know, a teacher scans a, a restaurant or a shopping mall with just their cell phone, and we can identify all the objects, translate them into another language, and make it an interactive learning environment for someone in VR. So that's that was the crazy idea we started with, and then we took a few steps back and evaluated how do we really solve this problem in, in the most simple means possible as opposed to um, throwing some pretty bold technology at it early on. That sounds awesome. And really quick, just a heads up, my listeners might crucify me for the fact that you're sounding wonderfully clear and you're really coherent and I like that. But every, what, 40 seconds, there's like 
a five like there's like a pause a cutoff in your speech uh, i don't know if it's your reception or your wi-fi signal i'm not i i, I mean i might be mine i don't know but we're gonna have to power through this um so bear with me and bear with us listeners because it's gonna be a, it's gonna it's worth it's gonna be worth the listen um i want to know more about this deep learning stuff that you guys got involved and and so are you are you combining deep learning with virtual reality or what, what's what's the deal there Yeah, so it was the source of inspiration for the idea. We thought that down the road, it might make more sense to incorporate. But for now, we're keeping things fairly simple and just trying to actually solve um, the problem of learning a language in, in the most simple means possible. And we think that's with a tutor, an environment of your choice, and tracking every word you say, giving you real-time metrics and feedback after the tutoring session on where you need to improve. Down the road, yes, I think we will incorporate 3D scanning and object recognition to generate the environments automagically, if you will. So if you think about our cost, the biggest cost is creating the 3D environments and making it interactive. And that takes time and effort, whereas down the road, I think we can automate that process with those technologies. I'm fascinated. So... Who is your target audience? Are you is there a, a particular person that you have in mind that you like to get this software out there to? Absolutely. So right now, what we're building is essentially a CrossFit for learning a language. Think of it in terms of you know intensive, structured. There's sunk cost involved. It's like you have a trainer at the gym waiting for you, and you need to go there, and you will perform. Um, as opposed to, say, like a 24-hour fitness where it's like Rosetta Stone. You, you, you cough up the money. You can go whenever you want, but it's not structured. It's, it's not intensive. Um, we think of learning a language in the same light as losing 30 pounds or learning an instrument. It's, it, if you want to do it, you have to uh, – it needs to be a concentrated effort. So the, person, the people we're after right now are people that are really serious about learning a language that are willing to – Um, dedicate multiple hours per week to learning this language, um, both offline and in virtual reality. And these are the types of people that, you know, they, they need the results, they want the results, and they're, they're serious about getting them. And how far along are you in the process of development at this point? So right now we're running a few trials. Um, they're scheduled for this week. We had four people purchase a, a short lesson with, with a tutor in virtual reality These people actually, interestingly enough, I had no contact with them prior to them making this purchase. None of them live in California. One lives in Arkansas, New Mexico, another lives in New Mexico. They actually bought Google Cardboards for this initial trial, yeah. which is pretty incredible. So we, we do think we're, we're onto something in terms of, um, you know, these are not VR type people. They, they're not into gaming or entertainment. They, they bought the headsets because of us. Um, so... We're about to launch this boot camp. Um, we're about to run these trials, but that's where we're at right now. Uh, so uh, you mentioned Google Cardboard. I, I take it then that you will be hardware agnostic in terms of um, the platforms that you'll be available in? Yes. Right now for this boot camp, we're actually willing to ship uh, to our students uh, an Oculus for, for the, the program because we, we do think that if you are spending multiple hours per week, In virtual reality, it, Google Cardboard's not going to cut it. And if these people are really serious, we're all for giving them the best experience possible.
So, are, are you still the next there? Year or so. Go ahead. Yeah, sorry again. I, I, you got you got cut off a little bit, but um. So you finish your last thought. So for the next year or so, you were saying. Yeah, for the next year or so, we'll actually be lending Oculus sets to our students for for the length of the program, knowing that ooh, cardboard. I mean, it, it works for maybe twenty minutes or you know some short experience, but. If these people are spending eight hours in in VR with a tutor, we want to give them the best experience possible. So, wow, <clears throat> that is some commitment there. Um, yeah, that is a, a a really cool commitment to using your software. Um, and about how long do you think it'll take from someone or someone to go from I know nothing to I can wing it? <laughs> yeah. So. Like with anything, I, I do think it takes a lot of time and effort. It's it's not going to just come magically. We don't we don't have any um, magical approach per se. It, it does require that time and effort. The goal is that we we give you the resources and the best possible path to learning in the scenario in which you need to perform. So, like like put it in terms of losing weight, right? People generally don't say, I want to be the most fit person in the Bay Area. They say, I want to lose 10 pounds. And to track that progress, they you know weigh themselves every morning. Similarly, if, if you know that you're going to Nicaragua to build churches in, in three months, and the language and the vocabulary that you need to acquire is, is based on that, we, we believe we can track that progress and get you to the point where you can operate, you can perform in that scenario. Um, we don't claim to, you know, make you fluent in, in six weeks. I don't think that's, that's a, no one can do that unless you're spending 12 hours a day. Mm. But the goal here is that you can perform in the settings in which, you know, you're about to be in, we'll put you right where you need to be and give you the most intensive uh, program that you can find that you can still do on your couch, you know. <laughs> I'm curious to know more about your approach and what makes you guys different slash advent. What what is your what is it about your approach about using virtual reality about your interface that makes it better than what already is out there for learning a language? Sure. So we view our direct competitor, I guess competitors, in like a private tutors. Mm -hmm. We don't view our 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 product competitive to Rosetta Stone or Duolingo or anything like that. We think those are all great complementary resources. In fact, we actually create Quizlet flashcards for our users to practice like during the day. Um, bottom line is you can never replace the textbook or the vocabulary. Um, so in terms of actually providing value on top of the tutoring, which is what we do view as uh, competitive to our product, because we're, we're essentially just putting you in VR with a tutor, right? Mm -hmm. um, how we provide value on top of just having a tutor come to your house is, is a few things. So first we think VR, um, there's some research pointing to the fact that people do learn things better in VR settings. Uh, they make more associative relationships with you know the objects and, and the words they might be looking at and things like that. But for me, the biggest... Uh, Sort of, it's uh, it's counterintuitive, but I think VR is the only distraction-free environment in which people can learn right now. Today, in this day and age, like you're on your computer, you get three pop-ups every minute. You get emails on your phone. It's just there are very few environments in which it's distraction-free. Mm -hmm. So 
if you think about VR just in terms of like all your senses are focused on on just the environment and the tutor you're working with, mm-hmm. I think that that might be the biggest piece for us. Um, the second thing is we're analyzing every word you say. So we, we're using speech recognition. Uh, we're using natural language processing. And the, the goal is to give both you and the tutor a very clear understanding of where you stand after each tutoring session in terms of, you know, let's say you, you use the past tense 10 times and you never use the future tense yet. You know, we gave you flashcards in a grammar lesson on, on the future tense. So understanding exactly where the student stands after every lesson and catering the next um, set of flashcards and, and content that you need to practice before going into the next one is how we plan on providing value just on top of the tutoring session itself. Just taking a step back for a sec, you know, why, um, why do I need to learn the language in 2015? <laughs> That's a great question. So more than ever, I would say we live in a globalized economy. Um, China is, is a great example of a country that there is a mass, uh, a mass investment into learning English. And in fact, I think there's officially more people in China that speak English than in America. So that, that's a great point in case. Brazil's another one. People, people are learning English and vice versa too. In America, a lot of people are learning Chinese and Spanish. Um, that's not to say the other languages aren't important, but those Chinese, English, and Spanish are definitely the, the top three. I think in this globalized economy to do business, um, it, it's very important. Not to mention the fact that um, I do think America has a, a very closed, closed-minded outlook on on the world. If if we can put you in China, where you're learning Chinese, if you're if you're a sixth grader, I think that that could be pretty life-changing, or at least it was for me when I when I started traveling and, and seeing the world. It, it really opens your eyes and gives you insight into how other cultures operate and how they work, and, and in terms of global politics. That will be pretty significant. I I agree with you, and I don't mean to get too anecdotal, but I I do have an, a a bit a quick story to share in terms of the practicality of learning a, a language. I have a I spent a year in Taiwan learning Chinese, and I realized that back when I was younger, I I remember seeing um in 1998 1997 I, I was watching a documentary on Discovery Channel about the Three Gorges Dam. And it was this fucking giant, massive human project that was damming these massive rivers that affected 300 million people. And at that point, I remember looking at that documentary and just thinking to myself, like, wow, that is that's that those people are going to be important one day in the future. And, you know, went to college, decided to go learn Chinese in Taiwan. And I come back. uh, Yeah. And it was. And, and it was, I think it was the best, the best way to learn for me was I need to throw myself at the deep end of the pool. And that's what I did with Taiwan. Um, but when I came back, you know, what I've, what really helped was the fact that like when I was looking for places to, to live, like, uh, you know, little studios, um, in the Sunset District, there's a lot of Chinese land landowners, and I um, when I when I would you, you're constantly you're competing, you know, to be like, hey, I'm like I am cool, and I'm not gonna trash your place, and yeah, I will pay your rent constantly. And for me, what helped was like, oh, by the way, 我也可以讲国语啊。
And she was like, uh, my landlady was like, oh, wow, okay, ni hao bang, I think you're cool, you're, <laughs> you're in, because <laughs> some, you know, because it's, it's nice when someone can, that, that doesn't look like they can speak your language, all of a sudden does, and you're like, holy shit, that was weird, and I want to find out more about you. So, it, so in, in terms of practicality, especially in the Bay Area, it helps to know Chinese and English and Spanish. Um, That's true. I think you're, you're you'll be set for for good for a while. Um, so practicality wise, I I I, I got to add there. There's there's some definitely um, practical uses for learning a language, but I I do have something that I I want to ask you and like. You know, how big is the market that you're going after? I mean, is this, are you doing this for, for profit? Are you doing this because you're trying to make a positive impact on, on society? Like, what are your what are your motivations here? It's definitely a mix. So, the, I mean, speaking just for the market first, yes, it is, it is a big market. It is growing, I think, at roughly 8% per year, um, mainly due to China, China and Brazil. So... $56 billion per year spent outside of education, like the schooling systems themselves on, on language learning. It, it is a big market, which is, which is great, but I, there definitely is an element of like bring the world together. Let's teach everyone the languages they're trying to learn. Let's actually try to bring some science to the learning process because up until this point in time, it's, you know, it's a bunch of educators and, teachers that claim they have the best approach, but in terms of the actual data, no one, no one is, no one can confidently say they have the best approach. Um, so that is definitely another piece to it, bringing science to the actual learning process, which is, which is a crazy thought, but I think it's possible. Hmm. So walk me through your approach. Um, I'd like to know more about your, your, how your, how does your interface work? Um, and you know, do you, have you personally, have you guys gathered information as to how effective your approach has been and, you know, are you tweaking, making changes as you go along? Yeah. So speaking for the interface mm -hmm. right now, it's fairly simple. What we've done is we've created, or we are creating a 3d world in which you can walk around in all likelihood. It's going to be like a shopping mall, uh, likely in Mexico or some, somewhere like that, a Spanish-speaking mall. And we'll, we'll throw you in that mall with, with your tutor. And there's two avatars, so you can see each other. Uh, hopefully, we can incorporate some of the face tracking and mouth tracking type uh, stuff that FaceShift is doing and throw you in there. And basically, you have to operate. Maybe the tutor might ask you some questions. The tutor will never speak your native language. Um, let's say you have to buy a shirt, the tutor can click on something, it might glow, things like that where think of it in terms of like a very simple video game where, you, where you're being tracked. Every word you say is, is being tracked. So after the session, you have a very clear understanding of how well it went. It's not just like getting a 92% on the oral, oral exam. It, it's much more granular than that. So that's where we're starting. Um, it's, it's fairly simple initially, but over time, you know, there's more gamification elements, there's opportunities to make it more social with more people as they sign up. Um, the granularity of, of what you're saying becomes more relevant over time. Those types of things, that, that's the direction we're going. But right now, we, it's only two of us, so we have to keep it pretty simple.
Yeah, I and I believe in you guys. I think you'll pull it off. But I want to move forward with another question. Sure. And um, you know, from what I've, I, I have this understanding that learning a language from someone who's a native speaker versus someone who is not, there's uh, significant differences in how you learn. And you know, I think uh, I don't know where I was watching this, but someone, I think it was Discovery News, was talking about how. Um, if you if you're not a native speaker of a language and you're trying to teach your your baby or your your toddler like how to speak that language, you know they will they won't pick up certain nuances that native speakers would would instill in them if if they were teaching them. And in that same vein, I wonder like what is 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 there um because you guys are using machine a machine to teach people a language like so what is so how does Learning a language from someone who's native versus someone who's non-native versus someone who, versus a machine. Like, how does that compare? Like, in oh, sorry. We, we actually do throw you in VR with, like, a real human being as a Oh, chair. I'm sorry. I'm glad I, I got that clarified. Thank you. Um, yeah. So there's someone on the other end who is using a telepresence through VR to walk you through the experience. Yes. yes. Ah. There, there might be some computers as well in VR that, you know... The, the person at the cash register when you buy the shirt says, you know, how much is it or something like that. But mm -hmm. aside, like that's very simple and that's not the core of the experience. The, the core is you have a dedicated human tutor with you in virtual reality the same way that you would have a personal trainer at CrossFit busting your ass uh, after every exercise. Um, oh. we, we don't think that AI is to the point where we're even close to – making it feel and making it, it, it humans are we're just not there yet machines are not even close so yeah for some reason when you said deep learning i i immediately thought oh but these guys are using a siri like avatar inside vr to walk people through as their tutor that but so where are you getting the tutors from are they are you so you're are you connecting the tutors with the with, with the with the users um and where do, where do the tutors fit in in all of this where yeah, so luckily, so it's it's more or less a marketplace. Um, initially, it might be a little simpler because we we have tutors that are really eager to to do this. And when you think about tutors, they're either people that moved here or pe teachers that love teaching. They're not doing it for the money generally. Um, that's not to say they're not looking for work. So the tutors, like we we had some press uh, written about us, and I had probably thirty tutors contact me indicating. You know, if you ever need someone that, you know, wants to do that, like, if you ever need a tutor, just let me know because I'm, I'm, you know, looking for work. I think this is an incredible opportunity. I've been waiting for something like this. I'd, I'd love to be involved in your early trials. So if you just think about the marketplace concept, the, the tutors, the tutoring people are the easier side of, of the two-sided market. Um, so we, we do have tutors readily available, um, and it's just, you know, a scheduling problem in terms of getting them in VR at the same time. But that's that's it's all solvable. Are you are you sorry? Are you guys um, is the goal to create a place where tutors can just make a living in, in the metaverse teaching a language down the road? Yes, I, I do think so. There's it's there's definitely an element of the sharing economy here where. You know, there, there's there might be multiple tutors that are always in VR, much like a video game or something. Think of it like a role playing game where you sign up and there's 10 tutors like waiting for new people that sign up. And 
Uh, you can interact with them. It's the environment is interactive as well. Um, there's definitely a lot we can do, but for now it's just, let's put two people in one environment. They have to operate. They have to figure out little puzzles and things like that. They have to hold a conversation. That's, that's where we're starting. I like this idea even more now. <laughs> like the more, okay. Thank you for clarifying that. I'm, I'm really glad you did because this is I, I, what I'm, what I'm sensing is this is the, um, I think this is the edge of the metaverse economy unfolding before our eyes. Like you, you're, and you're creating it. Um, like they're a place where that there resides inside, you know, the ones and zeros of the machine where people can make a living. I think that's really cool. From the tutor's perspective though, like what is the advantage of, you know, working in the metaverse? Well, hopefully, I mean, partially it's, it's, As opposed to what, I guess, is... As opposed to the real world. <laughs> well, it, it's I guess it's like Uber. If, if we have enough people that are looking for tutors, then, you know, you can always make money if, if you're willing to invest the time. So that, that's definitely one piece. The other is just making it really awesome. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, if it's fun and tutors feel like they're actually having an impact, I think that's generally what really gets teachers going is wow, this, you know, this person signed up last week and they've, they've signed in every day since then. And now that, that this person's Spanish is that much better. I think if it works and if the tutors have the ability to make good money on the side, that, that will attract them. Yeah. And in terms of your rates, uh, and, and feel free to not disclose if it's too early to start talking about this, but yeah, what, what does the pricing model look like here? Yeah, so for this boot camp, we're planning on charging pretty penny for it because we're not looking for the Rosetta Stone type people where, you know, you're in the airport and you spend 200 bucks and you put it on your desk and you never open it because there are those people. In fact, my, my dad, I think, has bought Rosetta Stone and it's still in the, in, the, in the wrapping. So we're charging roughly $450 for um, a few dozen tutoring sessions. I'm still figuring out the best structure that I think works for busy people and things like that. But think of it in terms of, you know, three or four 30 minute lessons per week for six to eight weeks, um, $450. The tutor, we pay them somewhere between 20 and $30 per hour. So we'll actually be losing money initially, but that's, that's okay. The goal is to have a few people walk away at the end of this boot camp saying, this was an awesome experience. I can now perform in the setting that I'm about to be in. And I'm going to go tell three friends that this is the best damn thing I, I've ever bought. That, that's our goal right now. We're not, we're not trying to boil the ocean in terms of, you know, a million people. Just one or two would, is all we're looking for. That sounds, that sounds awesome. I mean, and so from a, if I'm an investor, like how do you, how do you pitch something like that? If, if you're, if you, if <laughs> like, is it, is it like, um, Is it, a, is it a pain point when you pit, tell investors, like, yeah, we're not going to make money for a little bit, but it's going to be effective and people are going to find a lot of value in it? Like, how does, that, how does that conversation look like? Yeah, so the conversation generally hinges on, okay, if it works. Everything hinges on if it works. Mm. Um, we're trying to build a CrossFit here, not a 24-hour fitness. So, I mean, people pay, like, many magnitudes more for CrossFit than they do for 24-hour fitness, like, I think I pay like $35 a month for my monthly gym membership, but like CrossFit every time you go is like $25. So the bottom line is we're confident we can monetize and be profitable assuming our program works. 
Um, and there's a lot of opportunities to cut costs in terms of creating environments with 3D scanning, um, making things interactive through object recognition, lots of incredible ways of leveraging cutting edge technology to, to cut costs. But initially, think of it just as like a consultancy firm. Like if, if we can just have three people walk away and say, this is the best damn thing I've, I've ever done, then it will work for a thousand people. And then, you know, it's a question of, of cutting costs. Um, we're not worried about losing a small amount of money on our first however many customers. Um, a lot of companies start that way. A great example is Aardvark. It was like a search engine in which um, it was better than Google in a lot of ways. You can ask it really complicated questions. And they actually had humans answering those hmm. for, for months. They had people typing the answers in real time. And like obviously that didn't scale, but over time – they thought they could refine the algorithms and, and things like that. So we're totally fine losing money right now. It's not a lot of money. And the bottom line is if we can build something that works, we're not, we're not worried. And so tell me more about scale and, and how, you know, how does your idea, how does your company scale up in terms of, you know, once, once it become, once VR becomes a truly mainstream and, you know, people are, are, are starting to migrate towards, towards towards what you guys have. Yeah, so the way I think it scales is maybe in like a half li or a second life sense where um, think of it in terms of like a subscription where part of it might be um, private tutoring based, like you might get a few minutes every week with a private tutor, but on top of that you have the ability to enter the environment with other people trying to learn a language. You can walk around the, the level and get points for doing all sorts of different activities. Think of it in terms of like more of a game where it's like World of Warcraft, you pay per month. Um, part of it still might be tutoring based, but that's how we think it scales. The, the most expensive process for us is creating the 3D worlds. And over time, I think we'll just have enough of them um, to where we won't have to create a new environment every time someone signs up. So I'm, I'm not too worried about the scaling issues. Mm -hmm. I think they're all solvable problems um, in, in the long term. Tell me more about your 3D worlds and what, your, what tools are you using to create them? Yeah, so we're using pretty standard stuff. Um, Unity, uh, we're, we're working with some consultants. We're both programmers, not necessarily 3D designers, but um, it's pretty standard stuff, the typical stuff that you would use for for any video game or you know online game or anything like that, the nice thing about Unity is you can deploy it anywhere. It's a lot of the problems have just been solved over the years because you know there's so many different devices and that's really not the hard part. Um, initially, we actually might purchase some of the models that we need, some of the avatars. Luckily, we have a lot of options available for us. It's just, I mean, the simplest version here is basically the a really simple video game with. Um, with a tutor that you can just walk around with. Yeah. And I want to know more about the gamification aspects. And um, why gamif gamification? And, you know, is gam gamification, I'm murdering the pronunciation of this word, um, is it the future of learning? Do you, what, do you, what do you think? What do you see there? Yeah, a lot of people certainly think so. I, I've, I've heard two sides of the gamification argument. One is, the word implies that it's not a game and you're sort of making it, forcing it to be a game and it doesn't work in that sense. But people like Duolingo and 
the engineers behind Duolingo would, would say that there's ways of making people feel good as they progress. And there's a lot of psychology and, and research pointing to the fact that that's the case. But um, the way I see it is if we can make something that is this hybrid learning game where it's, it's mostly learning, but it's also still somewhat fun and you're working with tutors and yes, it, it could be challenging at points, but there's opportunities to make people feel good as they progress. And I think that's generally what you want as you learn. Like if you're solving tough math problems, like it's no different. You, you solve the differential equation and, and you check your answer. And if you got it right, you feel good. Mm-hmm. So in the same sense, like if you say the right thing in, in this world and you get a reward of some sort, I think, you know, you, we can, we can cater to the, that feeling. Um, that's not to say that, you know, the, the tutors and the, just the conversation itself is important. I still think that's the most critical element, but it might be a way of scaling it and cutting costs while still making it interactive, if that makes sense. Can you expand a little bit more? Yeah, so like for this first version that we're building, you're going to be in this mall and um, with the tutor and let's say you walk up to the counter and the MPC at the counter says, uh, you know, how are you doing? And you have to respond. Um if, if we can analyze what you're saying and, you know, you say the right response, you get 10 XP points or something like that. That's sort of the direction we're thinking. Um, or let's say the tutor says, how do you feel about this shirt? And the tutor clicks on the shirt and it starts glowing to indicate that that's the shirt that the tutor is referring to. And you comment on the shirt saying, I think it's great and I, it's, it's a nice green shirt. And then you get some more points. Things like that where... Um, it's, you're rewarding the user for doing basic things and actually responding, um, to questions in the right manner. Uh, I think just, we're, we have to start simple, but over time, I think, you know, there's all sorts of things you can do if we can analyze every word you're saying. So, you know, the, another user comes up to you and asks you some complex question and you use the subjunctive tense and, you know, you have three clauses and it's just incredible and you get 20 points, then, you know, that that's sort of the direction we're trying to go. How are you guys analyzing what people are saying? Are you, what, are, are you using deep learning here? And, you know, on the, on the software side, but on the hardware side, if I have a Galaxy S3, um, are you guys somehow get, tapping into the phone's microphone so that it can pick up on my voice? How, how do you plan on doing that on those two ends? Yeah, so answering the second question first, we're right now we're just focused on Oculus due to the fact that, that there's a lot of fragmentation issues, the phones and all this stuff. But, um, yeah, th- there's ways of just transmitting audio through through Unity. So that's what we're doing, and then we're analyzing the sound using some out-of-the-box speech recognition software from, from uh, Google and from Nuance, um, starting fairly simple initially. But, um, yes, we... Basically, the, the goal is to get a full transcription of every word you say. If we have to build our own speech recognition in two or three years, we might we might do so. But for now, just using out of the box solutions. And and so, we'll just again. Sure it's for, oh, so, yeah. sorry, you got cut off again. Can you finish your last thought? I'm sorry. Yeah. So just using out of the box speech recognition software uh, in combination with actually sending it to transcribers to ensure it's correct analyzing the sentence structure, analyzing the vocabulary, 
and I lost you again. <laughs> Bear with me, listeners. It's gonna be a good one. I promise you. This this is we're gonna go down the rabbit hole very soon. I'm not cutting this off because we've already done 36 minutes of conversation, and I'm having a quite a good day. While we connect back with Tony, uh, I just wanna say, you know, my um, my dog is very stinky. She she needs to take a bath. I'm gonna give her a bath today. Um, and it, are we back? Hey, Tony. Yeah, sorry about that. No I worries. Somehow dropped. Yeah, no worries. Um, so you were at Analyzing Vocabulary, I believe? Can you hear me now? Yes. I think the okay. last thing you said was Analyzing Vocabulary. Yeah, so Analyzing Vocabulary, the speed at which you speak, um, as many metrics as we can get on, on what you're actually saying and if we can do it in real time where we understand the question that's being asked and we can actually determine if the answer you provided was, was correct and we give you XP, I think there's, there's a lot of really awesome opportunities that we can uh, incorporate into the, into the game. So, what is, so the goal is to make people fluent. I mean, is, is, that, uh, is that what you guys, is that why I would want to use your, your, your software? I would say we'd like to limit the scope of the problem to something more manageable. Fluency is, it's a very ambiguous concept. It's, it's also very hard to actually measure. Hmm. So what we like to say is, you know, if you're, how do you lose 10 pounds? Well, you know, you're not trying to become the most fit person in the world, which is hard to measure, but 10 pounds is very measurable. So in the same sense, if, if you come to us and say, for example, this is what this person told us. They, they're going to Nicaragua to build churches in three months. He needs to know everything about, you know, buildings, construction, wood, sand, rock, um, concrete. That's the situation which he needs to operate in. So what we've created is a, a laundry list of everything we think he needs to know. And that's what we're measuring. So are you using all the vocabulary? Are you using the tenses that we think are important to this? Um, that's, that's a goal that we can track and that we think if, you know, he invests the time he can achieve. So that's why we like limiting the scope to something that's actually measurable as opposed to fluency, which is very hard to measure. Yeah. Well, another thing in terms of, so you talked about Nicaragua, right? And I, and I wonder how you plan on, are you planning on localizing the, language learning through to to like the different uh countries for example argentina speaks way argentinians speak and have a manner of speaking that is very different from people from panama um in the same vein nicaragua like how, how do you how do you know which region or which country are you localizing like nicaragua like you know all you need to learn is que la verga and huela similpares de la gran puta like that is all you need to learn that is um what the fuck and you know huela similpares de la gran puta means um what the fuck does it mean i've said it all my life and i don't even know what it means it a <laughs> <laughs> uh, son of a motherfucking thousands bitch something like that it's, so <laughs> going back to that like how do you localize the language learning by country to country, is that even possible? I think initially we just have to keep the problem really simple where we won't be able to do that. But I mean, as we scale, as we have more tutors available in multiple countries, as more people are signing up and saying, I'm going to Argentina and I need to know this 
accent. I need to know these phrases. Yes, hopefully. Hmm. Um, that's, that's always a challenge I think for any, for anyone teaching a, a foreign language is there's always some element of, you know, localization and we'll do our best, but I'm not sure, I guess, is the best answer. <laughs> I've been I've been asking you really hard questions, but I want to say that I really like what you're doing. And here's one of the reasons why. I, I've, I've learned, you know, languages in the classroom setting. And the struggle with that is the, for me in particular, is they're on the board writing something out and they put out a scenario. And it's sometimes it's hard to you know imagine that scenario you know or 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 um you know put yourself in that scenario it's it's yeah. it's i think it's cognitive cognitively intensive whereas with your solution i'm in there working out the scenario with the tutor at the same time i'm not i'm not trying to imagine something i'm in there working it out i like that a lot because it it's it's more of a an experiential learning approach, if you see what I'm saying. Like, and 100%. Yeah, I like that. I like that way more. And it, there's a huge, huge potential there with what you're doing. I mean, is that, do you think that, is that something, is that approach that, is that an approach that could be crossed over to other forms of learning? Like, I don't know, math or uh history or geography what do you think yes so the um the word i like to use here is role play so if you're in an oral exam in a classroom and the the test of the exam is on shopping in a mall it's it is pretty tough to say like you know pretend that you're buying a pair of pants that aren't even there it's it's tough so in this i think vr is like it's proven that video games are a great means of escaping the real world like i used to be addicted to world of warcraft like these people that i played with they literally thought they were like night elves and they talked in funny accents and it's just a it's a way of of role playing and i think just you know cognitively like it does affect how you can perform and what you can say so 100 that that's one of the three elements that i point to um that vr provides us uh, the other being the distraction free environment and and feeling that you're actually there. So 100%. Um, and then to answer your question about math and these other subjects, uh, I, I did read that uh, some Berkeley professors are working on helping people learn math and VR. And, and chemistry, I think, is another great example where if you can make it interactive and you can provide more data, basically, on how you know an atom moves around or an electron, these types of things then yes, I, I do think that um, I do think that actually influences the learning process itself. Whereas you know a textbook or a styrofoam ball is is just it's never going to be the same. Yeah, especially in the information age that we're in, it's so hard to pay attention to a book that was that is a technology that is what three hundred, four hundred, no, thousands of years old. Like, and we're trying to and we're trying to learn out of this thing that is competing with a world that is, you know, flooding with information and surrounding us. And how? How, how do we how do we how do we learn now how do we how do our children learn like that is that is where i think vr is is truly needed because now 
you're constantly competing with the Twitter, with the Facebook, with the Snapchat, with the Tinder, with the what everything. Like fuck, like, and so and and, uh, and VR, I feel like would be a nice place to like put that aside, you yep. know, and get to work and have fun in it. Like that'd be fucking awesome. Hundred percent. Yeah. That's you know that's the distraction-free environment in which we think that there's really no other distraction-free environment in this day and age. Um, and just that alone, I think is, is really sticky. Hmm. So definitely. What would you, what would your competitors say is your biggest weakness? And, you know, it's a self reflection sort of question as well. Like, what do you think is, is your, is your, you know, weakest link? I think the biggest weakness for us is making sure that what we're doing is systematic. So what I mean by that is, Let's say we have 10 tutors. Those tutors all came from different places. They were taught different ways of teaching. It's the educators, they all claim to have some systematic approach to learning. And schools, you know, they, they live and die by these approaches. So when we come into the market and say, you know, we're, we're two programmers that, you know, we, hire, we match you with a tutor in VR, but at, at the same time, like how systematic is, is the actual learning process? That, it's a tough problem. I mean, it's not to say that a private tutor that comes to your house, that that's any different, but if we're making a business out of, out of doing this, we're definitely, I think going to receive some criticism based on the fact that, you know, one person might get one tutor that has this specific way of teaching and another might have a very different way. Um, and that might result in two people with very different experiences, but, uh, it's, it's unavoidable in the sense that, you know, similarly like if you go to the gym and have a private trainer i mean one is going to be very different than the other but like i said we're making a business out of this so Mm. we're going to have to defend against that i think in in terms of that variability of the tutors is there um kind of like uber lyft are you planning on incorporating a rating system perhaps or okay yes we are definitely um so the tutors give us feedback on the students and the students give us feedback on the tutors absolutely um, also, so through analyze, by analyzing every word, both the tutor and the student is saying, we can assess, okay, this, this tutor, like, you know, this is a beginner in Spanish and the tutor just asked something that is, you know, semester six of advanced Spanish. This, this person clearly is not, not asking the right types of questions to a beginner. So that's where we can also start making, doing some of the analysis ourselves. Um, and after that lesson, we tell the tutor, you know, warning like you know you just ask this beginner some things that were just way too complex or vice versa maybe the the student is ready for more and the tutor is unaware um so i think through data there you can at least make the the process of feedback and um tell the student and both the tutor and the the student what what needs to be done to make the next tutoring session that much better uh ratings obviously help as well um, but I think the combination is what's best. I want to know what your take is on perhaps expanding your um, your approach to other sectors slash industries. For example, you know, if if I if, um, if I need to brush up on my Chinese because I have to uh, go to CES and be a translator for a Chinese investor, yeah, like. You know, will you guys be tailoring 
you know, experiences for the business person who needs to learn the lingo, the boardroom, the lawyer, the politician. What do you think? It's actually funny you brought that up because one of the four people that signed up and paid us for this experience, they want to learn Chinese in that specific setting. He's going to China and he's pitching technology and, you know, he needs to be able to at least be able to talk about this, you know, this type of stuff. So 100%, I think, at least initially, like, we'll bend over backwards to try to ensure that the experience that we're giving you is as personalized as we could possibly make it, even if we're losing a ton of money in the process. Um, I, I think there's just something special about putting you where you're about to be with the most personalized content that you can find anywhere. And, you know, we want our users to walk away saying, damn, that, that, that was, that was incredible. And I'm, I'm ready to be where I just practiced. Right. Mm-hmm. So that, I mean, it's both a question of, uh, cost effectiveness down the road and scale. But my belief is that we can, we can do so and, and still keep the level of personalization the same. Yeah, that's, uh, I, I, yeah, I like your, I like your approach. And, you know, another thing that I've been sort of paying attention to is, um, there's this, there's this thing with, uh, translators in Afghanistan and Iraq, you know, that when now they're pulling out and we're, you know, um, you know, uh, bringing things to a close, quote unquote, um, you, there's people who, who are stuck there and uh, that helped uh, NATO. And, you know, I, I wonder if you could also utilize this in the military sense, like, could you give the, your software to soldiers and, you know, and help them learn Pashtun or something like that? Like, um, much quicker and much more effectively than, you know, I don't know what is is there is there an application there or am I just pulling st- things out of my butt? I don't think so. I, I don't think you're pulling things out of your butt. I <laughs> think um, Rosetta Stone makes, I believe, one, roughly one third of their revenue from the government. So there's there's always massive opportunities in the language learning market in government. So once again, I think it's a question of. How well does it work? If it works well, the government's going to come knocking. I have no doubt. Um, so if, if we can put you in that setting that you're about to be in, let's say it's, you know, you're sitting next to a translator or a, or a politician and you're the translator and you need to brush up on these words, this specific scenario. You want to be in a, an uncomfortable place that, you know, you've never been in before. Yes, that, that's absolutely something that we can do, or at least we think we can. Hmm. Yeah, you. Uh, I, from what I've heard, them government contracts are. Um, how do you say, milky? Not not milky. Um, <laughs> yeah, they're 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 lucrative. There you go. <laughs> um, yeah, and so that's that. Yeah, but that's not particularly the 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 course you want to head into. If it comes, it comes, right? Exactly. Like so, another. Um, so I, one of my first blog posts about what we were working on was it was sort of hybrid in between consumers and educators, uh, educators being people actually in school, like teachers in the classroom. So we're a hundred percent consumer focused company right now. It's one of the beautiful things is I think language learning is a big enough market outside of school that you're still an education company, but you're a consumer company. So that's one thing that I think we really love is that 
you know, we, we can make an impact in terms of, of teaching people, but we're, we don't have to operate within this, you know, the education market, which is slow and very hard to work within. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think we're in a unique position there where, you know, if the government, if it works, I think we're going to have a lot of people come knocking on our door, both businesses, governments, um, there's a lot of opportunities assuming it works. Um, but the first step is to just get consumers to pay us for it and, you know, have them walk away saying this was, this was, this is damn near incredible. I'm hopeful. I'm very hopeful. And I, and I, and I'm, and I'm crossing my fingers for you guys, for you guys' success. Um, let's take a quick, uh, detour down the rabbit hole because I'm, I, you, the fact that you guys, that you mentioned deep learning earlier, um, and it's something that I've sort of obsessed about lately. Uh, makes me think that you know, think maybe think about the timing of your of your company and what. How do you how do you feel about the fact that one day, um, and I preface this before I go on. Like I remember seeing a TED talk where a guy was speaking English, and I can't remember who it was, but he was speaking English, and the deep learning algorithm was translating in real time to Chinese. And in that same vein, I don't, I think a future in which you have a Bluetooth headset that is picking up on your voice and there's another person with another Bluetooth headset and they, and then you speak English and they hear Chinese and so on and so forth because of the deep learning algorithms, you know, how far is that away? Because if that is to happen, I, wouldn't that you render your, um, service sort of useless? So, yeah, you bring up some great points. Um, first, to answer your question about how far away that is, um, I mean, speech recognition has come a long, long ways in the past three to five years. Three to five years ago, I mean, Siri and these other services, they, they barely existed. And, I mean, it just didn't work that well. Um, I, I still think they work well, but not great. Um, apparently, Baidu just announced that they've made an incredible improvement under under Andrew Ng. But the bottom line is it, there's still a lot of errors. There's still, you know, you include noise in the background. It doesn't work that well. Um, there's there's still a lot of work that needs to be done in terms of, um, of speech recognition. So luckily, a lot of people are working on that problem. Um, I mean, Facebook just bought Wit. Not yeah. to say they were working on the actual problem itself; they're just making it more available to the to developers. But mm-hmm. there's a big movement in the speech recognition world um, in terms of improving it based on deep learning. So I don't think that that the the, the scenario you just described with the, the Bluetooth headsets renders us moot. It's it's still a, like I think it's ten twenty years out to where. Um, you can actually say something in English, have it translated in real time to someone else, and then keep in mind you also need text-to-speech unless the person is reading what you're saying. Hmm. So there's a number of problems there that, I mean, it'll work 70% of the time, but in any important setting, 70% is basically zero. It needs to work you know, 98% of the time even professional translators, like they butcher things. So the problem scope is, is just very dense and it's the breadth is very deep. So I'm not worried about that by any means. In fact, I think 
it helps us more than anything where we can make the NPCs, the, the robots in our world, much more interactive, smarter. We can understand what the user's saying, determine if the question that was asked to them was, you know, they provided the right answer. Those types of things I think are solvable within the next five years though. That sounds extremely exciting. Um, the but the NPC will never, in your mind, the NPC will never replace the um, the actual human tutor. I not anytime soon. Um, I mean, we we researched deep learning for the last six to eight months. Um, we built a text recognition engine on par with you know twelve hundred person company, and I I just being that familiar with it. There's a lot of hype. There's a lot of um, a lot of promise. But at the same time, it, people don't realize how far some of these problems are. Um, AI is, we're very far away from any type of generalizable AI. It's, it's just the problem scope is the companies that can solve it, like Google, um, Baidu, you need massive data sets. You need um, the models themselves. You need to continue changing them, trying new things. Sometimes those new things don't work out. It's just... It's farther away than one would think. Hmm. Fair enough. Yeah, that I'll um, yeah I'll see I'll see to that point for sure because it is uh, yeah it, it is an extremely difficult problem to try to solve. But I think that when it does get solved, it might change everything. <laughs> I totally agree. And I mean, there's debate about you know is general AI just a combination of a lot of simple algorithms like gradient descent or is it something much more complex and people still don't know um, even even the top research shops they're still they're still learning a lot and you know just based on our knowledge of the industry we're not worried in fact you know I think it's quite the opposite I think we can leverage pretty much everything so one of the things that came out this this year Google released this um, this research paper in which they not only identify objects in an image, you know, you take a photo of your desk and it says coffee cup, bowl, spoon, etc., with the bounding boxes around each object, but on top of that, they're actually generating sentences based on the objects. So they say, you know, the bowl is to the right of the cup. And we thought that was an opportunity for, for language learning, once again, where you take a photo of something and we can actually generate not only just, you know, an interactive quiz, like what object is this type thing, but on top of that, actually generating sentences. And I mean, it's still far from perfect, but that that's sort of the direction we think we can go. That is insane. <laughs> and yeah, that's some crazy stuff. Uh, let's walk into speculation land for a little bit sure. because you mentioned the Facebook acquisition of wit and I want to know what what does that mean for you if 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 this service this thing gets incorporated with the Oculus Rift somehow um, since Oculus is a Facebook company like yeah. you know does that affect your business model at all and in what way? It's it's a good question. I was actually talking to this uh, with my co-founder last night because we were both a little confused by by the acquisition. I mean. In all due likelihood, I think they're just a promising company that has developer momentum and Facebook values that. And who knows, maybe the offer was, was sweet enough to where the, the founders just wanted out. But I, I don't know enough about it to comment on it with any certainty. But to me, I, I, I 
think it makes sense with Oculus if if they are going after the developer world and the home automation markets and these other types of things. Then yeah, I think I think Wit makes sense, but um, I, it's hard to say that they bought it due to any VR reason. Um, I mean, Nimble that was an obvious choice, but Wit seems to me like. It, it's a developer momentum purchase as opposed to anything else. Hmm. I developer momentum purchase. What does that mean? What do you think that uh, can you? <laughs> so, I mean, Facebook, Oculus. These these are two companies that value developers. Arguably, I mean, they're among the companies that value developers the most. And Wit had a big developer following. A lot of people were incorporating their technology into all types of different things, whether it be VR, home automation, um, security cameras, like whatever it might be, they had the developer following mm. and their, their platform was very easy to use. So they created something very simple that developers love. But if, if you take a step back and actually analyze the speech recognition they're using, they're using Sphinx. Um, Sphinx is open source uh, project out of Carnegie Mellon and People are trying to improve that as well, but they, they were not a speech recognition company per se in the sense that they were working directly on the problem. They were just trying to make that um, that technology accessible and easy to use for developers the same way that, you know, Heroku is not a, um, they're not reinventing the server. They're just making it really simple to use. Right. I want to know what you, have you thought about, you know, what could be the, what could be the possible worst case scenario for the VR industry and what could be the best case scenario for the VR industry? So the worst case scenario is that it's another nuclear winner. Um, <laughs> you know, I think there's a lot of hype surrounding deep learning right now too. And I do have some qualms with some of the companies that I, I think are getting funded just based on the fact they have smart people and they, they say deep learning. But um, I, I think, you know, just the, the hype is always a, a concern, but this time around, I, I do think it's different. I do think that, you know, you try on the new Oculus and you, you, the first words out of your mouth are just, holy shit. Mm. It, it works. It's incredible. It's, it's something new. It's something different. It's, it will change gaming with, there's no doubt in my mind, especially at the price point that is projected to be at. So I, I, it's very promising to me. And I mean, I'm, basically betting my company that Oculus will be a success in the next two years. So the best case scenario, I think that not only gaming takes off and entertainment and YouTube 360 videos, but, but other sectors. And um, I, I, I think that's what really legitimizes it as a technology in the same way that, I don't know, the computer is much more than just one thing, right? You can do so many different things on it. So if we can change education, if we can change medical, you know, ap applications, uh, the company that's helping people with lazy eye syndrome, mm. th those types of things I think are all very, very important and critical to the, you know, wild success of VR. So we're really happy to be the only company, I would, I, to my knowledge, that's focused on language learning because we think it's a problem we're solving in the world. Yeah. I, yeah, there's a uh, yeah. You have huge potential here. Like you're the first. Yeah, you're actually yeah. You're the only company that I know of that is working on this particular problem. And 
the awesome thing about VR is this blank slate where I could have never imagined. It really, until I ran into you guys' uh, Crunchbase page by accident, I didn't know that you could do that. <laughs> and it's really cool. I want to know, you know, where there'll be demos for people to try out. Uh, is, there, is that a possibility? What do you think? Absolutely. We're, we're working on it right now. We're running some trials this week. Um, starting simple, but yeah, uh, we'll, we'll have an incredible demo. Ideally, we're hoping to, to share our first demo at Upload VR on the, I think it's the 16th in, in San Francisco. So mm. it, it'll be cool. Yeah, no doubt. Um, we'll actually have a tutor there and you'll hop in VR and walk around. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. Holy crap. I'm so excited for that. I'll be there and I will find you and say hi. That sounds great. Um, more uh, I want to know more about you. Why VR? Like, why are you interested in virtual reality in the first place? So, for a few reasons. First, I mean, we are both ex-gamers. Like, uh, you know, I was addicted to a slew of video games for a majority of my life. My co-founder, he's been building all sorts of graphics games. I mean, he ported Doom to Game Boy. He built all sorts of awesome things that are based on, you know, graph. he's a graphics programmer who worked in NVIDIA and Xbox. Wow. So we've always been really passionate about graphics cards, graphics. Um, VR is, is just, I guess, an extension of that, of that passion. Um, speaking for, I guess, other reasons, I just think it's a massive opportunity. It's, it's early that there's so many people that haven't tried on a VR headset and knowing that we have and, you know, the, word, the words that come out of your mouth the second you try it on. We think anyone that's tried it at this point, they're happy. For that reason, we think it's a massive opportunity. Mm -hmm. And, you know, is there is it, is it bigger than gaming? Like, how, how big do you think it'll be uh, five years, ten years from now? I So I definitely think it will be bigger than gaming, especially due to the fact that we already have, like, one of the purchasers of our uh, uh, product was someone that's 64 years old and he's never bought a VR headset. And, um, you know, like it's definitely bigger than, than just gaming. So how big it is, I, I'm not sure, but I have every reason to believe that, you know, people will be watching movies in VR. There'll be, there'll be educational applications. There'll be medical applications. There'll be simulation applications, like all of these things. It, it makes sense. Mm -hmm. And the, and the other headsets it, it's not ridiculous and just to me there's it, it just seems logical <laughs> yeah there is yeah there's this it, there seems to be a logical linear progression that we're sort of in where yeah the the, the hype is the device at least crescent bay is is meeting the hype and the expectations for me um and it's crazy. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it, I've never thought that this would happen so fast. And, you know, going back to the graphics side of things, you know, I wonder, you know, how, how prepared are NVIDIA and AMD and those guys in terms of, you know, the demand, the possible demand for, for more um, powerful graphics cards? Yeah, that's a great question. I can't speak specifically on behalf of those companies, but I do know that, I mean, Samsung being the, the gorilla in the room, this is arguably their, their top priority. And, I mean, they just launched Milk. They're launching more, more and more things. 
realizing that VR is is not just hype. It's this is something that is truly a game changer, and the graphics demands I think are, are higher than ever. Um, given the fact the screen is so close, the screen door effect, all these other things, people will solve these problems. Um, I know Nvidia is working on them. Um, how much effort? It's hard to say, but I mean, speaking for deep learning, Nvidia they they had their one of their keynotes I think yesterday or the day before. A lot of it pertained to deep learning because they realized that wow, this you know our graphics cards like all the research shops are are using massive GPU clusters to do all their the training for deep learning and executing the models. So they they noticed this and they adapted. And I have every reason to believe that as VR takes off, Nvidia, AMD, these other companies will once again adapt. Um, the the market when the market says something this loudly, these companies listen. Yeah. Now I want to know if if you were to leave Earth tomorrow for Mars forever, what would be the last meal you'd have? <laughs> hmm, that's a good question. I think I think it would be a banh mi, a really spicy banh mi. <laughs> oh yes, I, I love banh mi, sriracha sauce, a nice French baguette. Can't go wrong. I like your style. Nice. And your favorite video game of all time? Favorite video game of all time. So I think it would have to be Counter Strike.、Um, huh? Speak from my co-founder and me. That that was the first game. I mean, we both fell in love with it. I think he still plays pre, you know, every once in a while. Just given the fact that it's just the best damn game that ever came out. It was so far ahead of its time. I mean, there's so many incredible FPS games now, but. There's just something special about Counter Strike. <laughs> I I like Counter Strike, but when I tried getting into it, man, I you know I don't have any um I'll I'll say right out I have no resistance for pain. Like I I was getting spanked, dude. Like you know it, it was like back in like ninth grade. Like I was trying to because all the kids all the all every all the kids were playing Counter Strike, and I was like, all right, I'm gonna give it a shot. So yeah, I, I got it. I I trying to play it on my PC and spanked. Spank, dude! I could, I just, I was just like, I was, it was giving me these rage quits that, you know, I, I then I, then I found Unreal, in,、uh, Unreal Tournament, and I, um, I, ha I had a, in, in, in there,、uh, yeah, and I, I just stuck to Unreal Tournament because I had an internet girlfriend there that <laughs> I don't even know if she was a girl. Who the fuck knows? The, in, the internet back then, that, that was, that was the good days. That was the good old days. Um, those are the good. Yeah. How do you think? Like,、uh, how do you think? Do you think the metaverse? Do you think the the VR,、um, you know, place where people will play games will will it also be a wild west, or do you think that it's gonna be much more, I don't know, safe slash, you know, vanilla? <laughs> Elaborate a little bit. So, for example, like I, the when I started playing video games online, Unreal Tournament and. Um, you know, Command and Conquer. That wasn't online though, but、uh, Battlefield Two. Like there was, there was a sense of freedom. Like, and maybe it was because I was young and I didn't know better, but I had this sense of freedom that no one, you know, that no one gave a fuck that I was what I, that we were here playing, and it was just in my own little world. But now. And it's perhaps because I I know more about you know、um, how do you say、um, surveillance that you you I feel like the met there's a chance for the metaverse to become more 
submissive, more passive, you know, less wild than the internet back in the day. Do you, do you see? Yeah, I see what you're saying. Um, yeah, it's hard to answer. I, I'm not sure. I, I think they're definitely, I, I think game developers have, they understand more about getting people hooked and getting the, the playing field more, more level because, or at least putting people in a situation where they can succeed enough to where they don't get jaded if that's if that's sort of the, the vibe you're talking yeah um because if you look at like counter-strike you're right like if you were a newbie and you walked into you know the dust or whatever then you're playing with pros like you you're gonna get rocked um that's i would say there's still some games like that like call of duty but um it, it's still i i think game developers realize that they want to make this game for the masses and they have to cater to all the different playing types and all the different um like a great example would be like league of legends like you progress at the same level as everyone else and the games are fairly balanced in the sense that like one person isn't killing every single other other person so i i do i would say that the gaming environment has changed in that regard game developers are just much more aware of of these elements of, of you know making sure that people don't get jaded Quickly. And I almost think that's dangerous for, for younger kids because more than ever, I think the gaming environment is just it's so much more addictive and people understand how to exploit the mind. <laughs> if you could turn it into any animal, any animal, every time you sneeze, what would it be? <laughs> uh, hmm. Now, there's a question I've never been asked before. Um <laughs> uh, uh, you know, in light of the the viral YouTube video, I go panda. Huh? The sneezing panda. I yes. think it was one of the early uh, viral YouTube videos. <laughs> the, what would you do with your panda powers? Oh, um, I don't know. I, I probably just people's ask because I, I know kung fu. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well. Uh, Tony, it's been a, a true pleasure. Uh, a pleasure. I'm, uh, I, I had a lot of fun talking to you. Um, do you have any final thoughts or comments before we start bringing things to a close? Um, I don't think so. Thanks a bunch, Chris. I, I really appreciate you reaching out. Yeah, no, it was. It, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you've. Uh, you guys were open to uh, come in on the show. And how can people stay in touch? How can people follow what you're doing and all that good stuff? Yeah. So. If you go to our website, learnimmersive.com, we have a newsletter. That's the easiest way to stay in touch with what we're doing. I'm about to update the whole website as well. If you want to reach out directly to me, Tony at learnimmersive.com. Awesome. All the relevant links will be in the show notes. Uh, Tony and Learn Immersive, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you.